The show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Patients, docs, nurses, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we've tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Digital health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status, no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all come on, let's go. New choices, new platforms, new care models. In the healthcare of tomorrow, consumers win. But who will design it? What will it look like? And how long will it take? We're here to answer those questions with some provocative thinking about how to create the healthcare that people actually want. Ready to roll up your sleeves, look at the world a little differently, and explore the frontiers of consumer health together? Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Welcome back. I'm Jared Johnson, ready to share some more provocative thinking about building the healthcare of tomorrow. We have something special coming up. Our 200th episode's right around the corner. Just three more episodes to go. Now, if you're just now joining us, we hope you'll subscribe and check out our previous episodes. A great starting point is the start of our current season, season six, where we've been focusing on how to operationalize and scale consumer-first healthcare. Season six starts at episode number 170. Again, that's episode number 170. If we haven't yet, I hope you'll check it out. So here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about choosing to be part of making healthcare better. What can we learn from the speakers at the recent Digital Voices virtual conference? I'll talk about that. Then a Hava tag is back in the house for the first of a three-episode series about how words matter. The more we talk about understanding, engaging, and designing for consumers, the more we should realize that words are powerful. Ahava will share some provocative thinking about how content can be the key to staying relevant in consumers' lives well before they seek care. We'll dive into what Amazon can teach us about content. And we'll also talk about exhaustion, mahjong, and jigsaw puzzles. It's time to dive right in. Are you ready? Let's go. Flavor of the week. We can either be part of the reason that healthcare stays the same, or we can be part of the reason why it changes and improves and becomes something better. Last week, I had the pleasure of hosting Digital Voices, the latest virtual conference from a group of well-known and well-respected healthcare chief digital officers. I just had to share some of the highlights and things that will stick with me as I continue to journey along this quest to be part of the reason that healthcare improves. From Shiva Mirasini, VP of Enterprise Digital Experience at CVS Health, I learned that so much of our health depends on our behavior, so we have to recognize that digital experience ultimately is a question of behavioral change management. This echoes what I've been saying for some time now, that digital health is a means to an end, not an end in and of itself. It's the plumbing, and we needed those pipes. But it's taken so long that we need to make sure we don't forget that we're building something on top. A better consumer health experience. From Christine Monkhouse, founder and CEO of Patient Orator, I have a better understanding of why our digital innovations are failing underserved patients. Kistine used the term implied usefulness, meaning that it's a mistake to assume that just because we've made a large investment creating a digital tool, it doesn't mean that patients will automatically find it useful. Perfect example, patient portals. From Nasser Nazimi, Chief Information and Digital Officer at Jefferson Health, I learned about some cool programs that their health system is piloting for hospital at home. In Jefferson Health's attempts to scale these efforts, they've become aware of the challenges, such as generating a lot more data and making it useful for providers. They've also learned the importance of strategic partnerships like their joint ventures with Biata and General Catalyst. 
And from the final session with Ed Marks, Chief Digital Officer for Tech Mahindra, and Chris Ross, CIO of Mayo Clinic, I learned some keys to turning consumer experience upside down. Ed and Chris spoke from their own experiences as cancer patients and how it's taught them that while digital tools are deployed at scale, they're experienced individually. So coming back to the original question, are we part of the reason that healthcare stays the same or will we be part of it becoming something better? For the speakers at Digital Voices, I'm pretty sure I know how they'll answer that question. What about you? Do you see the opportunity right in front of you right now? Do you see a part of the system and think, I wonder what would happen if we just designed it a little bit differently? Well, it's time to act. And don't worry, you have a community to support you. But take that first step and share it with somebody else. And do it now. That's another way that we'll build the healthcare of tomorrow. And that's the flavor of the Week. Give it up for Ahava Liebtag. Ahava's back in the house to share some provocative thinking with us about how content can help us understand and engage with consumers even before they seek care. We're going to dive deep into her thoughts on all things content, and we might even talk about what Amazon can teach us in that area. Ahava, welcome back to the Healthcare Wrap. Thank you so much for having me, Jared. It's always so fun to be here with you, so thank you. I appreciate that. If someone's actually been living under a rock or something and they don't don't know that you're like the superstar founder of Aha Media Group and a jigsaw puzzle enthusiast, what else would you add to that bio? Well, you know, I've sort of abandoned my jigsaw puzzles. I feel bad about that, but I've gotten into Mahjong. So I've really been playing a lot of Mahjong. But I guess, what do you need to know about me? I love to read. Words are important to me. I'm super passionate about getting people the healthcare information they need because of some bad healthcare experiences that I've had. I run AHA Media Group, as you said. Uh, We're about 50 writers, editors, content strategists trying to make the healthcare web safer one word at a time. You know what? It's almost as if you've created a content mission statement for yourself. I have. I absolutely have. We, our mission is to empower people to make the most important decisions of their lives. That's exactly right. The conciseness, the confidence with which that is spoken, it's so refreshing. It really is just to to think and and realize, like to be able to put your mission uh, right out there and be like, yep, this is what we're all about. This is what we're about. That's exactly right. Nice. (laughs) Uh, Before we get like totally deep into this, uh, anything recently, like uh, uh, something that has sparked your mind recently, anything you've come across or experienced, anything from like any client feedback or like a quote you've read or something that's just been like, hmm, I'm, I'm thinking about my world a little differently because of that. Yeah, actually, something's happening to me today that's really important. So I had a really bad life threatening experience in the beginning of my 30s. And it really shaped my life and the passion with which I bring to healthcare content. And today I'm going to see a new doctor who I think will be able to help me manage my chronic condition better, but also may be able to identify that there's an underlying syndrome going on. They're doing research to figure out how to solve some of these issues that I have. It's a GI motility disorder. And it's super exciting to bring not only my fundamental knowledge of these things because I've written about them and because I've run this company for 17 years, but also just as a patient to see how scared I felt last night when I was reading the articles about the different things that they have identified and the different research that they're doing. And the only articles I could find were at Hopkins and Mayo. So, you know, it's really new and big and, you know, on the front, the frontier. And, 
you know, two of the articles really scared me and one of them made me feel better. And I think, you know, I shared with my team today, you know, I'm telling you this as a patient, not as a boss, not as a person who runs a company, but really somebody who's scared and vulnerable and feeling excited that somebody might be able to have some good answers for me and also nervous that they won't or nervous that they're going to want to do more scary tests. And I said, we just have to keep remembering why we're here every day. Well, thank you first and foremost for sharing that with us and and best of luck with that entire journey. I can only imagine uh, how much relief that could potentially be. Maybe a relief is probably not even the right word for it, but some answers. Yes, thank you. It would be it would be big. I've always joked around that I'm a lemon. And I've always said that like I have this syndrome that nobody's ever identified before, but eventually at some point in the history of mankind, they're going to figure out what this syndrome is. And this guy, you know, all the symptoms that I have sort of fit into that. So, you know, I may not be exactly the right thing, but just the fact that there are this constellation of symptoms that are related, that when I would talk to other specialists, they'd be like, no, that has nothing to do with it. Now I'm like, "Hmm, maybe it does. And I think that that's also part of what we're seeing in general in healthcare is people don't trust science because science isn't humble enough to say we don't know. And I think that instead of doctors dismissing the constellation of symptoms that I have, the good ones would say something like, no, I don't know if those are related, but it could be. And the bad ones are like, no, those have nothing to do with each other. And that's where, you know, sort of the humility and everything that we do has to be there. The ability to say, you know, we just don't know yet. Well, trust is going to be absolutely at the, at the center of this conversation because we're, we're setting up this, this series about how words matter. This kind of concept of the power of getting the wording right in our content and every engagement and communication that we have between colleagues, between providers, between providers and patients, all of the encounters that happen, like so much of it is based on communication. And is that what you're seeing out there in terms of like the the opportunity to improve on on trust because we're not doing the best at that right now? I mean, I think we're, excuse the French, I think we're sucking at it like so badly. It's just a disaster everywhere you look. How bad is it out there? Is this a collective, is this a trend that we are struggling to create trust in our content? Yes, we are. So I think that part of it can just go back historical from a government perspective. I think that Watergate and Kennedy being assassinated sort of developed this feeling that you couldn't necessarily trust the institutions that you had been led to believe were so fantastic to begin with. And I think that that's the cynicism you see in the 80s. But as the advent of the web and the ability for everybody to sort of be a media creator began, we now have you know millions of pieces of information coming at us probably on almost a daily basis, if you can really imagine it. I mean, I really think all of us just are getting so much information at the same time. And because of that, it's hard to know who to trust. And it's hard to know if you're just inside of an echo chamber and just everyone's saying what you believe and therefore you think of it as fact. So all those societal things are converging. And then you have this pandemic happen. And at the core of what's happening with the pandemic, there's also this very alarming realization that not everyone in this country is treated the same way. Not everyone in this country can count on the same sort of things that other people count on to just be there as part of their lives. That justice seems to be state decided. And it shakes the foundation of what we believe in. And so there starts to become this, I think, inherent cynicism in almost everything about what is real and what is just made up. The other thing that I think influences Americans that they don't even think about is that there has never been more of an emphasis on health and wellness 
And yet we're getting more and more unhealthy as a population. So just looking at that, the question sort of is, well, why should I even try? Because they tell me to eat right and they tell me to do this and they tell me to do that. And I did all those things and I still have heart disease and I still have diabetes and I still got cancer. And why should I even try? And so all those things combined, I think, are putting healthcare communicators in a position of not only having to just give people information, but sort of having to convince them that this is the place they should be getting information from. And it's all very, very exhausting, I think. That's the perfect word for it. And I remember being in those shoes of trying to do the convincing, right? The sitting there saying, we have some of the answers. And above all, we have some hope that we can put out there into the world, into the community. How do we do that? And to start doing that and to realize one reason for some of it to not get as much traction as we had hoped was this inherent, at least a hesitancy to trust, you know, not fully denying what an institution was saying, but like saying, okay, maybe we might believe you. Like we, we, we might do that, but, but like, we're not just going to take your word for it. And I think that was a, an in the trenches discovery for me when I held a role that, that that was one of our main responsibilities. And it, you know, that is one thing in my personal journey that has led me to say, like, let, let me keep going up that ladder and asking better questions of like, hold on, like we could put all this effort into this and it could be absolutely exhausting and just like destroy us basically. And where are we going to be anywhere better? as an institution, like, are we going to accomplish our goals if we don't do this in the right way? Like, like what's the best way to, to spend our time here? And so, yeah, there've definitely been times when, when it felt like uh, spinning our wheels, putting out so much, like more, like you said, there's more information out there than ever before. And that's how it definitely felt at times putting out more content and yet not necessarily getting very far with it. What else are you seeing in terms of like some of the challenges for healthcare communicators? Well, I think, yes, A, they're exhausted and they often wonder, is this worth it? I think the time and the amount of channels that they have to deal with is very challenging. Uh, Drew Davis calls it the marketing pizza pie. So, you know, you used to spend like a certain percentage on paid media, and a certain percentage on, you know, I don't know, keeping your website running. And like now you have to do TikTok and, you know, Instagram and Clubhouse and, you know, the constant changing media channels that are out there, I think, are really exhausting for any marketer, but particularly a healthcare communicator, because very often people who are in healthcare communications are selling something people do not want. <laughs> they don't want to take care of themselves the way we're telling them that they need to in order to be well. They don't want to get sick and have to deal with that. They don't want sometimes to even like get a vaccine. So imagine you're selling something that people don't want and they don't trust you. It'll, you know, it's, you're right. It's kind of like, let's just roll it up and go home because it just makes you feel like, how are we going to get this done? On the other side, to be super positive about it, I think that we can see that there have been some really fantastic campaigns and some really great public education work that has been done that shows that you can influence change and you can influence people's health care choices. So I don't, you know, there's a great, I live in Silver Spring, Maryland, which is a suburb of Washington, D.C. Don't hold it against me. And uh, there's a great campaign here where they use this abuela character, who's a Spanish grandmother, to educate the Latin, the Latino population. I, I think that's the right word you're supposed to use now. I don't know. I'm always so nervous about saying the wrong thing, but the Latino population about 
you know, getting vaccines and why vaccines are important and how to take care of yourself during COVID. And there was this really great remark where somebody said, you know, you never listen to anybody, but you listen to your abuelita and, you know, your grandmother. And that to me was so powerful because that communication firm really figured out how to communicate, to pick a medium and a message that really was going to work for that particular target population. And so that's a long segue into me getting to the next thing that I think is hard for healthcare communicators in the sense that when we talk about healthcare, you're talking about so many different things, so many different types of people, so many different kinds of families. How do you figure out what to say, when to say it, who to say it to, where the ROI is going to be if you're looking at it from that perspective? So I think that those are the two main challenges that we see with healthcare communicators. There's not enough money for all the different things they think they need to be doing, and there's not enough clear picture of who they should be talking to and when. And then underpinning all that is that trust health stuff. But I think if you think about that on a daily basis, you wouldn't go to work. So I think, you know, let's try to focus on the things that we can influence and and hopefully gain trust just through small acts of great content. Agreed, because I, I think one source of the exhaustion is, like you were just saying, the having to keep learning new platforms. It's not like you can look at the beginning of the year and say, yeah, we're just going to rock and roll with the same plan as last year, same platforms, same frequencies, same topics. Let's just recycle our editorial calendar from the previous year. Knowing that that is far from the case, it can be a little uh, anywhere from discouraging to deflating to absolutely soul crushing. <laughs> yeah, really exactly. So I think soul crushing is what I would call it too. Absolutely. And I, and I, I think one of the amazing things about the healthcare communicators that I talk to on a daily basis is that they don't feel that way about it. You know, they understand the challenges that they have and they feel that they can handle them. Now, some of them are exhausted from just the pace that this last, I hate to even say it almost three years has, is, is it work? can you believe it? People wow. going into our third year of this. It's unbelievable. I think the pace of the last two years has just really exhausted them. But I think that they still are in it, most of them, for the for the fight. And, you know, maybe that's not the right word to use anymore. Maybe we shouldn't be moving away from that type of language. But I do feel like they understand their challenges and they're still committed to making it happen. It's true. It's easy to get lost in the day-to-day, the exhaustion. I think that's the perfect word for it. But the fact is there are a lot of peers who you can look to and and draw strength from as a community and say, yeah, we are all fighting this fight together and we have this similar mission. We do, at the end of the day, want to empower people with the information they need to make better healthcare choices. And so if we can draw that line a little bit more frequently, then it does help us get through the day-to-day because we all know the, the block and tackling that has to happen on a, on a day-to-day, sometimes hour-to-hour basis, just to get things going and to know there's so much effort that happens before anything gets published, before anything gets put out there on the web and people actually start engaging with it. To understand how much happens before that is another part of the process that can be exhausting and I, I think even one one more part that we can we can go here for a minute, you know, another contributing factor here is factoring in. It kind of comes back to the part that you said, how do you know who you are communicating with, let alone supposed to communicate with, to share this message to lead to some type of action? Understanding who that is, part of it has to do with understanding the level of health literacy. You recently wrote about this about 
how we have to consider the level of health literacy in our communications. Uh, do you want to dive into that a little bit? I think people don't realize nine out of 10 Americans struggle with using health information that's routinely available to them. And then when you look at the fact that 30 million Americans are basically illiterate, which means that they can't read a map, they can't fill out a form, they can't read a prescription label, you're talking about a population that is really struggling to understand what's happening around them. And and I think that, you know, that goes back to my comment about why is it that we have more information about how to be healthy than we've ever had before, and yet the population continues to not be as healthy. And the question I think that we have to ask ourselves is, okay, A, yes, we're doing something wrong. There's no doubt about that. The way we're living our lives is not the way our bodies were designed to live. But there's also something happening in the idea that we think people can understand information. You know, I was filling out this survey that I have to fill out to go see this doctor, and they were asking all these questions about, have you been diagnosed with this? Have you been diagnosed with that? And even as healthcare practitioners, they put the burden on the patient in a way that's incredibly unfair. And so the number one thing that we have to make sure is not does our healthcare information sound fancy and not does it sound impressive and not does it make our institution look good. Can the person reading it actually use it to do something? That should be the number one question. And if there's anything in it that's not understandable, forget it. Why bother publishing it? And so we, you know, we go to the floor sometimes and tackle these stakeholder experts and say to them, tell us what you're trying to accomplish and walk us through how this is going to help the average person. And, you know, when you get them to see it from that point of view, it changes the conversation. And I have to say, I've been doing this for a really long time, 17 years. Doctors have changed tremendously. A lot of them today grew up you know, using this technology, maybe they're not exactly digital natives, but, you know, they're close to it and they understand the need to speak in a much more compassionate way. And we, we don't have those conversations as much anymore, but we still have to get them to see that, you know, using words like multidisciplinary and complex don't mean anything to anybody who's never practiced medicine or understands the practice of medicine today. Hang with us. We'll be right back and check out these amazing podcasts from our friends. Healthcare is an industry where women make 80% of buying decisions and are 65% of the workforce. Yet women are notably underrepresented in industry leadership, making up approximately 30% of C-suite teams and just 13% of CEOs. The Hit Like a Girl podcast ensures that more women's voices from healthcare and health IT are heard in an effort to inform policy as well as to help more women advance within the industry. I'm the show's founder and host, Joy Rios, and I interview women leaders to amplify their work. New episodes are released weekly on Mondays and Thursdays, and you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Health Podcast Network, or wherever you tune in. To find out more, you can follow us on social media or go to hitlikeagirlpod.com. Consumer experiences, major disruptors in AI tech are shaping healthcare for years to come. We're data rich, but information poor. Data without decisions is just distraction. You have to show results. That's how you build trust. On Hello Healthcare, we dive deep on these issues with the leaders who are driving change. And we hope that these stories will help you to create or demand a better future within healthcare. Don't miss out. Follow Hello Healthcare. Okay, back to the flow. 
multidisciplinary is my favorite word to eradicate from the language of possible uh, in any of our communications. Correct. I remember trying to describe it once to a team member when they're like, okay, what does that even mean? And I'm like, so my understanding is it means if there are doctors of other specialties that need to be part of your care team, that we're going to make them part of your care team. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So we need a word to say that you're going to do the thing that that patient's going to expect you to do. Yeah, we need to make sure that's in there. So yeah, that's seven syllables that you can eliminate uh, as much as possible. And uh, I would feel like it, the world is a better place. A hundred percent. I'll also say that a lot of times they say they are and they're not. So that's another thing. You know, we're always asking, are you really promising something you can deliver? So. Ooh, that's, a, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so true. Got to ask the questions. What about another article you recently wrote about what Amazon can teach us about content? I was fascinated by this one too. So this is where I think we get into a really interesting conversation about where I think hospital marketers particularly go wrong. So consumerism works when we're talking about a transactional approach. So when you go to Amazon and you want to buy, let's say like markers, okay? So you could literally look at hundreds of different kinds of markers, all different colors, all different gel, ink, I don't even know what, different flare tips. You can, you know, it's unbelievable how many kinds of markers you can buy. And that's what you can do on Amazon. When you're going to find a doctor who specializes in the thing that I have, there's two of them in the country. So yes, there's a value in being more transactional as healthcare organizations, paying bills, making appointments, managing care, looking at your portal, telehealth, all those kinds of things we need to move toward. But then there are going to be places where we can't think like that because what we're selling is so personalized and so customized that it just eludes any kind of consumeristic approach to it. And so that's where our point of view is fix the things that make sense to be transactional, but don't make the entire experience transactional. Because when you do that, you lose that sort of education that has to happen to help people understand how they're going to get the healthcare that they need. So I don't know if that's helpful to think about, but when we talk about consumerism and healthcare, I think we're talking about making everything like Amazon. It can't always be like that, but the things that can be like that should operate as smoothly as possible. But we also have to remember that we're not going to be able to give people that kind of service across the line. I can get an, an, an uh, you know above ground pool delivered tomorrow to my house. That doesn't necessarily mean that my yard is graded properly. That you know I have the right supplies. You know I need an electric. I'm speaking obviously from personal experience. I needed an electrical you know ground wire installed. Like I bought this pool thinking, oh my gosh, I don't want to go to the swim club during COVID. And then I got the pool, and there were all these thousands of things that needed to happen before I could. Set the pool up. And I think that that's a really good metaphor for what we think about when we think about consumerism and healthcare. Yeah, there are things that we can do on the front end that are going to make it smoother for people to have an experience with us. But then there's all these other complicated things that aren't going to fit into any one workflow. It's a great point. And I, I liken it in a, in a bit of a way to the conversation that's going on right now about some providers thinking, like, why would we go into telehealth at all? There's some who see the receding telehealth visit volumes and saying, see, I told you so. Like people don't want to have a virtual visit. And then there are those who are saying, well, no, I'm going to incorporate that into my practice where it makes sense. There's this type of visit that that makes sense. Maybe it's a follow-up visit and I don't need them to come in. You know, let's make that an, op- an option for them. Let's give them the choice. And it's th- there are those who only see it kind of black and white of like, either all virtual or all in-person visits. And then there are those who are having this conversation of like, well, 
There are parts when that makes sense and there are times when it doesn't. And so let's have that let's change that conversation. Let, let's have a discussion about when we could offer a hybrid approach. And I, I think that point's well taken in terms of it doesn't make sense for everything in healthcare to be a transaction because it isn't. And not only does it lose something like it, it's not even an effective description of what that encounter will be, of what a visit will be. And so our health is a journey. And so understanding that at points, it does make sense to be transactional and sometimes it doesn't, uh, that should come across in our language. It's a point that's so well taken. And I think we can all uh, take a look inward and see where we can find the opportunities to do that. Yeah. But I will also say that being said, I still think you should be able to buy an above ground pool on Amazon. Meaning you should still be able to do what you need to do interacting with a healthcare organization in the way that you expect to with a hotel or Yelp or buy food online and have it delivered five seconds later. I mean, those are all things that I think that we should be able to provide in a certain part of the journey in healthcare. So I'm not trying to dissuade you from whoever's listening to setting up some more consumerism surrounding you know, your institution. On the other hand, don't forget about the fact that technology is a platform to satisfy things, but it's not necessarily a form of communication. And I think that that's where sometimes we go wrong in our thinking. Yeah, it's a means to an end. And exactly. it's taken us exactly. its taken us so long to get it set up. It's the pipes, it's the plumbing. And it's taken us so long to get the plumbing installed that we forget we needed the plumbing so we could build something on top. That's exactly right. That's exactly, exactly the point. The, the Thank you, because you said it that way that I did. It's the conversation. I, I keep seeing it coming up and I want to like kind of interject and say, like, don't lose sight of this. Like digital is the means to an end. It's great. Like we needed it. And now let's remember why we're doing this in the first place. Now we can offer some more connected experiences. You know, we can, we can connect our data and we can personalize this aspect of it. It's not hundred percent of an Amazon experience. I mean, it's the perfect kind of uh, transition there in terms of, yeah, it's not all the places, but the places that it should be, let's do that. Let's do it right. And so, yeah, yeah. Great point there. Any other direction here that we haven't talked about yet in terms of how do we engage with consumers better right now? You know, one of the things that we are still struggling with and we can't really seem to come to an agreement about is what to publish and when. So I'm talking about these like, you know, heart month, breast cancer month. And the thing is, is that whenever we talk to clients and we look at analytics, yeah, the interest in those things go up during that those months because that's where the media's attention is. That's where people's attention. We know that the people inside of the breast cancer community, whether family related or friend related, you know, really take that month seriously and they wear pink. And, you know, I have friends who do their nails in that color pink and put ribbons, you know, in their hair and things like that. So we know that the focus is there. The question about these topics is, are we looking at them really from the right frame? And that's where I sort of struggle when we talk to clients about how to plan their editorial calendars. We're still having these conversations around when and what does it make the most sense to publish about? And should it really be tied to that kind of calendar? And I still, the data all points to yes, but I wonder, does the data point to that because people are really hungry for that information or because that's the information they're being fed. I just don't know the answer to that question. It's a great question to ask. It's almost a chicken or the egg thing. And I think being aware of that uh, helps you understand what story can be told with the data. Yes. But my question to you, Jared, is are we being lazy then? 
are we being lazy and just saying, okay, let's just write about breast, you know, breast health awareness, because we know that that's something that people want to know about. Is that really what we're supposed to be doing right now? Or should we be talking about other things because we're aware that people need to be thinking about other things in terms of their health also? Uh, the vaccine, you know, we're not going to talk about the vaccine anymore because we kind of feel like we've hit that one over the head a million times and it hasn't gotten us anywhere. Mm, okay, are we still not going to, you know, try to write about why the vaccine is important? So that's where I still struggle. And if so, anybody has an answer, please email me. <laughs> Hope Yes, uh, listeners, please. Let's get this one figured out, right? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think there's a there's clearly a balance where it is easy to to get in the habit of let's just go with what we think people want versus that element that you just mentioned of what do we feel like they need to be reading about at some point? Let's balance that somewhere wherever we can, realizing that quite often if it's a topic that yeah that isn't right front center of the ethos of the culture right then, you're not probably going to see as many you know views and, and, and reads and engagement with it. Are you okay with some of that, knowing that that's actually a greater value that you potentially see yourself bringing to the community? It seems like a balance. Yeah, I agree with you on that. The other thing I'll say is that the other thing that I just, we didn't talk about this, but I want to say this because you have a large platform and it allows me to be on a soapbox. People stop publishing things for SEO here just to get SEO points. If you actually do the treatment or service, then write about it. If you don't do it, but you notice that there's a gap in that SEO term and you want to grab it, don't do that. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense at all. The other thing that we haven't talked about that I would like to talk about is the SEO grab that I see people making. And what I mean by that is they'll encounter a term or a keyword phrase that they don't cover on their site that's getting a lot of juice or that has a lot of traction for it because nobody else has really grabbed that space. And they write about that thing, even though they don't offer that service treatment condition, you know, at their hospital or at their healthcare organization. But we know that we can attract a lot of SEO if if we, you know, create an article about this thing. Don't do that. It doesn't make any sense to do that. The 0.000001% lift you may get on your SEO from having one really great article about something you don't do is not worth the mistrust that you've created when the person tries to find an appointment and can't get one because you don't do that thing. So well stated. We need to hear that. We need to be told that, unfortunately, more often than, than I think we like to admit of finding that balance and thinking like getting lost in the search for more clicks and more reads. And let me say this also, if you think that you're going to go into your manager's office and impress that person with the fact that you were able to do this, you may for a little while, but if that person gets more educated or they start asking you, well, what have we gotten from that amazing thing that you did? And you have no answer for them you've then lost trust with them too. And then you get frustrated. Why don't they understand what we do here? Why don't they, you know, try to really understand it better so that they can make better decisions? Well, the reason was, was because you did something that undermines the overall thing that you're trying to teach them, which is that if we give people great content that serves their needs and the needs of the institution, we're winning. And so it just, you're spending time on something that will just end up being exactly the opposite of what you were hoping to achieve. So well put. Uh, This has been so much fun. Uh, Thanks for giving us a few minutes, sharing so much value with this. I'm really glad we got to do this again. 
Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And uh, your audience is so fun. So I hope they got value out of it too. Uh, no doubt. Uh, what, what's the best way for them to connect with you and the work you're doing? Uh, go to ahamediagroup.com and type in hello at ahamediagroup.com and uh, to your email and use the contact us form and we'll reach out to you as soon as we get that email. I, uh, I love answering questions from people. I love hearing people's reactions to some of the things that we say. And uh, if you feel like reaching out, that'll make me feel like uh, what we're trying to do here is, is worth it. So I would appreciate that so much. You bet. And I will add on to that. The email newsletter, uh, the emails that I get from you guys, I always look forward to getting that in my inbox. I always learn from them. Uh, they're great points of view that are based on ongoing daily conversations that you guys have with the with the industry with your clients and what you're seeing so it's uh, it's always valuable to me uh, thanks for giving us some time stay safe stay well and uh, all the best to everything you've got going on thank you so much hey thanks again for listening we hope you found some value in this conversation and if you did do us a favor and follow us using your favorite podcast app then tell your friends and colleagues about us if you like what you heard please spread the word Healthcare App is a member of the Shift.Health Content Network. If you enjoyed this podcast, you're going to love the other shows in the Shift.Health Content Network. Go check out the latest show. In fact, it's called Hello Healthcare, hosted by Chris Hemphill. It's focused on people who are moving healthcare forward, how healthcare strategy relates to data and AI, and what you can do to create or demand a better future. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform or at Shift.Health, where all 35 podcasts and video series are free and available on demand. Until next time, keep marketing forward. Thanks, and that's a wrap.